0: Good morning. My name is P.J. Ryan. I'm an elder here at uh, Calvary Bible Church. It's an honor to serve among you. Today we're going to be reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9. We're going to read the whole book of Psalms, chapter 8, reading out of the uh, NASB, 1995. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Who hast displayed thy splendor above the heavens? From the mouth of infants and nursing babes thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? And thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man, that thou dost care for him. Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God, and dost crown him... With glory and majesty, thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Thus says the Lord. Amen. Thank you, PJ. But if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 8 or just
1: leave it open. Good morning to you all. Thank you for being here today. Uh, I'm Byron Bradshaw. I've already introduced myself once, but I'm the pastor here at Calvary. I hope that you've been enjoying the fall day, fall weather. But we are in our second week of a four-week series just examining different Psalms that we find in the Scripture and really zooming in on the topic or on the the issue of loving God with all of our heart as I said last week the great commandment the supreme commandment that we see in the scripture is echoed in Matthew chapter 22 verse 37 it says what you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul and with all of your mind I take that to mean we should love God with all of our knowledge actions and thoughts and emotions all three but usually we, as fallen people, as sinful human beings, we usually choose one of those three. We usually choose to love God with all of our mind and not really with our heart and actions. And those people I will call robotic Christians, that's me. Uh, or I, we usually love God with all of our heart, and I call them highly caffeinated Christians. And then, Or we love God with all of our soul, and those people I call busy Christians, people that they're just constantly serving. But in order to truly love God, it takes loving Him with all of our knowledge, all of our emotions, and all of our actions. And today, we're zooming in on our emotions, but really what I want to talk to you today is about your value, your worth. And we can only understand our worth in this world when we truly understand his worth. Without something objective, value is subjective. I want you to think about, okay, how, how do we measure our self-worth in America? What are some ways that we measure self-worth in America? And I'm asking... What are some ways that we measure our own worth good accumulation of property stuff right what else what's a huh? yep what else power yeah what else yeah relationships the opinions of other people money cars houses Positions at work, opinions of other people, our children. And what's the, what's the problem with saying our self-worth is in any of those measures? It is, those are all heavily. They're all a vapor in the wind. They appear to be full or satisfying, yet they disappear the next. But it's also a secondary problem. Measuring our self-worth by any measure outside of God leaves us, leaves our value to be very subjective. Let me give you an example of a subjective value and how we should measure things. Okay, let's say I'm generous today and I... Come up to one of you today after church and I give you 10 million Venezuelan bolivars. Okay, I don't even know if I said that correctly. I don't... Bolivars? Okay, all right, there we go. I got the Spanish speaker over here. Okay, so if I walked up to you today after church and I handed you 10 million Venezuelan bolivars... Sorry, did I get that right? Okay. Go on What would you think? Some of you would probably think... That you hit the lottery, right? Right. Until you went out and tried to spend it. And you would realize that I gave you 10 U.S. dollars, okay? That demonstrates the idea of the subjective nature of value. Without an objective standard, without a bigger source, outside of ourselves and outside of our world, value is very difficult to determine. His worth, God creates your worth. You can't understand your self-worth and your value without a knowledge of God. It says this, and this is before the days where churches argued over Calvinism, uh, but John Calvin in his book, Institutes of Christian Religion, says this about our worth. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. It is evident that man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look at himself. For we always seem to ourselves... To be just and upright and wise and holy until we are convinced by clear evidence of our own injustice, vileness, folly and impurity. Convinced however we are not. If we look to ourselves only and not to the Lord also, he being the only standard by the application of which this conviction can be produced. What in the world did I just say? That you cannot understand yourself. ...without first understanding your Creator. You can't understand your value to God until you understand His value as the sovereign ruler of the universe. That you have to have a standard, a ruler to measure your own self-worth. And that's really what Psalm 8 talks about today. That His worth, His perfection and magnificence, the radiance of His glory and holiness... He, in his perfection, in his infinite wisdom and glory, the creator of all the universe, he tells me my worth and what is our worth. Can I just... um... If you struggle to understand your worth through the lens of God and what he sees you as, your life is going to be crippled by self-esteem issues. And I'm not here to talk about self-help stuff, but I do want to make a point. What is, if if God, if evolution is true, if it is fully true, then what is your worth? What is the most valuable thing that you can do? That you are, if evolution is true, a glorified monkey. Something that goes, ooh, 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 okay. And your greatest calling in life is to spread your genetic code. That's it. But since you are created by the sovereign ruler of the universe, and since he is the measure of all things in the universe, he has dictated to you... The measure of your value to Him. So if you have your text, go to Psalm chapter 8. That's where we will begin today. Um, And I'll break it down into two main sections. If you have your text in front of you, you'll see God's worth is unpacked in verses 1 and 2. And then in verse 9, He kind of sums up the whole psalm. And then you see your worth in verses 3 through 8. Now the psalms can be very difficult to interpret if you've ever studied the Psalms, it can read like a 12-year-old boy's brain, um, ADD everywhere. But here, it's really pretty simple. But before we go in, I have one favor to ask. And it's raining outside today, so if you haven't had coffee today and woken yourself up a little bit, go for it, man. There's plenty of sugar and donuts in the back. Um, now that I have everybody's attention, okay, I want you to do one thing today. I want you to receive what the Scripture says. When somebody comes up to you at work or in your home or a friend comes up to you at church and gives you a compliment, how do you receive that? You say, oh, 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 thanks. If you're anything like me, okay, thank you. And then you really pay attention to the insults, okay? Is anybody else like that? Like the one rotten egg spoils the whole bunch. Okay, I don't want you to do that. I want you to just genuinely receive What the scripture actually says about yourself. But first, we have to see God's word. But then notice the superscript. Before we really just hit the gas and go full speed, let us just look at the setting for the story, story, the superscript of Psalm 8. At the very top of your page, it should, should say something like this. For the choir director on the Giddeth, what in the world is a Giddeth? A Psalm of David. The first phrase, it says, a choir director. What does that automatically tell you? It means that this psalm is meant to be sung. As I said last week, the psalms are the hymn book of the Old Testament on something called a giddeth. What in the world is a giddeth? A giddeth is a Philistine ukulele. It is designed to be sung on a Philistine giddeth. Now, if you're rusty about biblical history, what are the, who are the Philistines? The Philistines are what? The arch enemy of David. If you ever read 1 and 2 Samuel, then you'll know that the Philistines are kind of all over the place, always being a thorn in the flesh of David and all of the Israelites. And David, throughout his lifetime, the Philistines are gunning for him. And he kills a very famous one named who? Named Goliath. But David took his enemy's ukulele and he took it he took something dark and used it for a great and new purpose you are a giddeth you are a giddeth god took something once his enemy once alienated from him and made you a beautiful instrument to demonstrate and to sing the praises of god's grace and love and redemption and then notice the last part a psalm of david What do we know about David? He was a king of Israel, right? He was also a man after God's own heart. He wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms, and this is one of them. And David, fortunately, doesn't go too ADD on us in Psalm 8. If you've ever read some of them, like Psalm 22, it's like, okay, he doesn't do that here. He talks about God's worth, the standard of our value, and then your worth in verses 3 through 8. Notice Verse 1, God's worth is seen in his name. If you have your notes, it's seen in his name. O Lord, our Lord. Just notice those four words right there. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now notice there's two different lords. What's the difference between the two? You'll notice that one is in all caps and one is just a capital letter followed by lowercase letters, right? Everybody tracking with me? Everybody know it? So if you've been here for any length of time, then you probably know what those are. The first one says, Lord, in all caps. That is what? I'm hearing it. It is Yahweh. That is the name of God. And the second one is Lord, which is the Hebrew word for Adonai or Master or Ruler. In the Old Testament, if you see in your English, in all caps, L-O-R-D, Lord, it is signifying that the Hebrew word behind it is Yahweh, which is the name of God. What does that name of God mean? It really describes who he is in a nutshell, the standard by which he proclaims himself to be. Yahweh is best understood through the lens, the definition of that word, Lord, is best understood through the lens of the burning bush. You know what I'm talking about? Is everybody tracking me this morning? It's cool. You get around me. Go get coffee. Okay. It's cool. I read a little bit. Okay. Okay. but it's cool. We're, it's raining outside. All right. So it's best understood through the story of the burning bush in Exodus chapter three. Moses is a simple shepherd in the desert of Midian, and he is walking his sheep, and he sees a strange sight. It is a bush that is burning, but is not consumed. And then David, appro- or excuse me, Moses approaches his burning bush. And he speaks to God, and God is manifesting himself in that fire. And Moses said to God in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is saying this to the Lord. Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel who are in captivity to Egypt, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. Now they may say to me what? This is Moses speaking. What is your God's name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am... Who I am. That the meaning of the all caps Lord in your Old Testament is Yahweh. And that word means I am who I am. In other words, what? That there is no comparison. I mean, how could the one true God have any comparison? He is the creator of all things. He's the sovereign God who created the universe, who created this as you see behind me. That there is no comparison. I am who I am. There is no subjective matter that compares to the one true God. No God equals him. He is the greatest being in all of the universe. He is the standard by which we measure everything, including our own worth. But to David... When he writes that word Yahweh, that name of God means something so much more than just a burning bush in a desert. It signals to David and to all the Jews that would read this in the Old Testament, it signals what? That God is the covenant-keeping God. That God keeps His promise from an emotive level. It exclaims to David that all of the promises that He's given to the nation of Israel will be fulfilled. Yahweh keeps his promises to David and to you. The promise of heaven to all who believe in his son. The ability to come to him with your concerns. The desire of the Father to give his children good things. The objective worth of God is seen in His name, that He is the standard, that there is no one, nothing, no other God that simply compares to Him. But then the second standard, the second measure of His worth is seen in creation. O Lord, our Lord, notice this next part of verse 1. How majestic is your name in all the earth. The word majestic means mighty or magnificent. It could also mean authority. How majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. God's objective worth is seen in creation, both in the infinite And also in the finite, in the small and in the large, in the heavens and in the mouth of babes. That God's existence, his power is seen. When you look up at nights and when you look at all the blessings and the people in your lives. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Notice this last phrase. Who have displayed. If you have your pen or paper or pencil or phone whatever you do who may have who have displayed circle that word displayed your splendor above the heavens what is he talking about there that god's might his majesty his magnificence is proclaimed in all of the earth and also in the splendor of the heavens what is david doing at this time he is looking up at the night sky to look at the magnificence of god can i can i ask you a favor this week That's what I want you to do. I want you to go for a walk at night. And I just want you to walk in your neighborhood, and I want you to look up at the stars. The stars proclaim his worth, that he is who he is, that there's no comparison. I want you to put it in perspective for you. When you look up at the stars, the closest star besides our sun is, is a star and i didn't get the name okay but i got the mileage okay it is 25 trillion miles away from earth now that is such a large number that we have a hard time really understanding what that is okay So if you were, let me put it all in perspective. So the closest star besides our sun is 25 trillion miles away. You know, we get impressed when our car goes 100,000 miles. Okay. So 25 trillion. Let me put that in perspective for you. Okay. Let's say one day that you're really, really bored okay, and you've you watched all the YouTube you could stand, okay, and you've watched all the documentaries on uh, Amazon Prime or whatever, okay, and you decide to count, like a strange person, okay, from 1 to 25 million, using each second as a different number, you tracking with me, how long do you think it would take for you to count from 1 to 25 million, it take you 7.792 years but let's say you were really 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 bored okay and then you decided to count to 25 billion using a different second for each number how long would it take you then it would take you 792 years if you then decided to count to twenty-five trillion. It would take you 792,000 years. The nearest star besides our sun to us is 25 trillion miles away. That star proclaims the power and the magnificence of God. That when you look up at the splendor of the heavens, how could you not be consumed? with his glory and holiness his worth his splendor, his power, his majesty is proven by the stars on a dark night but then notice God's worth is seen in creation both in big and small verse 2 from the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revenge will cease that the mouths of a babe a baby proclaims the power and worth of god how many of you have kids in this world in this room kids any kids anybody have children okay it is amazing how fast they grow does anybody realize i mean it's like they came they came into this world like the size of a small shoebox, okay and then one day they consume your whole house with their clothes anybody else relate to that i mean and they are so expensive And it's amazing to think that every one of us began in something called a zygote, which is a single cell that has enough DNA in it to produce a human being. That the infinite nature of the universe, and all the way down to the very smallest thing on earth, proclaim the worth and the majesty and the holiness and the power and the infinite nature of God. Since God has no equal, then he is the standard by which we must see ourselves. But then notice our worth. This is really where I want to camp out. Because of him. He is I am who I am. He's seen his worth in the heavens and on the earth. And then notice what God, through David, says about us. Your worth. There are three principles that I see in verses 3 through 8. And can you, can I, before I read, can you just receive this? Verse 3. When I consider your heavens, that star that's 25 trillion miles away, when I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him. What is he saying? That when he looks at the universe, man seems so insignificant. But what does God do? He takes thought of us. He listens to our prayers. He rewards the righteous. He disciplines us for his love for us. But then also God cares for us. As I talked about last week, that God has worked in your life. What are the stones? What are the memorials? What are the testimonies in your life that God takes care of you? We have short-term memory. We forget how God has displayed his love to us, how he cares for us. What is man that you take thought of him that you would listen to him? And the son of man that you would care for him, that you would answer his prayers, that you would even listen to us, that we are just a bug on a ball in the middle of a universe and that you would... Say we are valuable. Um, if, If you are convinced that God hates you, if you're convinced that God ignores your prayers, if you're convinced that all of this is foolhardy, then just look around you. Look at all of the blessings you have in life. Can I just preach practically for just a second. We, as human beings, we take one injustice that God allowed or one hard thing or one event in our life, and we take that and we use it to justify our stance that God hates us or that God ignores us or that God is just a mean kid on an anthill with a magnifying glass. Anybody relate to that? We take that one event and then we just forego all of the ways that God has shown his care and his love for us. Just look around you. Can can you just recognize the blessings that God has given to you in this life? Look at where you are. You ha, you, you're in an air-conditioned building. Praise the Lord for it. Okay? You're not sitting in the rain in a tent, okay, having church service. You have loved ones and relationships. You have probably a job, and you have more money in your bank account than people in Africa do, okay? Yeah. God has blessed you in immeasurable ways. Will you just recognize verse 4 in your life? What is man that you would take thought of him and the son of man that you would care for him? I've known so many people that have walked away from the faith convinced that God hates them. But what they fail to see is verse 4. They fail to remember all of the ways that God has displayed his love. But then notice verse 5. This is where your value comes in. Because he is Yahweh, because his creation echoes his worth, both in the big and the small, he listens to us. And then verse 5. Yet you have made him a little lower than God. Some translations say angels, but it is the Hebrew word Elohim, which means virtually everywhere else, God. you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him circle that and you crown him with glory and majesty what is david saying in the first line in that stanza that you are god's greatest creation you are god's greatest creation yet you have made him a little lower than god out of all the things in this universe, out of all the stars in the night, out of all the things that are on earth, that you are his greatest work. Notice the second principle. And you crowned him. You crowned mankind with glory and majesty. He made you his greatest creation and he made you his greatest prize. And you crown him with glory and majesty. God elevated us from just a creation to his greatest creation, and he crowned us as his greatest prize. Your story magnifies the grace of God, that God created you perfectly, but through the seed of our father Adam, that we rebelled against God. And since that time in the Garden of Eden, in a verse called Proto-Euanglium, any scholars in the room? Okay, Genesis 3.16 talks about that there will be a messiah that will come and bruise his heel on the head of the serpent at that time since the garden of eden that god has sought to redeem us to bring us back to him and he sent his son to demonstrate his love for us and now he proclaims you as his child as his greatest creation as one that has crowned as his greatest prize and then he has given you a great task verse six You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through all the paths of the seas. Wait a second. What is your worth? Your worth is God's greatest creation. You're his greatest prize. And he has created you for a great task. To do what? To do his will and to know him, to rule over the works of his hands. Notice what it describes, right? It it doesn't leave really anything out. You put all things under his feet. That pretty much encapsulates everything. Verse 7, all sheep and oxen, the things that walk on the earth, also the beasts of the fields, the things that fly above the earth, the birds of the heavens, and things that are below the earth, the fish of the sea. Your great task is to do his will, to know him. And as I said last week, you are created to know God. And the proof that God wants you to have a relationship with him is by sending his son on the cross. That you are meant to know him. He's not just a clockmaker that wound up the world and just let evolutionary tasks happen. But he created you as his foremost trophy and prize. And he has given you a job to do. To do his will and to know him. His worth creates your worth. You can't understand your value until you understand the value of God. You can't understand your value in this world without knowing Him. Can I just uh, speak? Um, how are you measuring your worth? Can I just pour lemon juice on a paper cut? Okay. Um, how you typically measure your worth is revealed in your insecurities. Right? Your physical appearance, your money you have in your bank account, the car you drive, the house you have, the children you have, their intelligence, how good they are at soccer, how they're good at, okay? All of those reveal how you probably find value outside of God. Can you just embrace that all of those are subjective? Those are all hevel, vapors in the wind. They appear to be full a moment and they disappear the next. Let us go above the measures of the world. Let us go above to see what God says about who you really are. Because only until you actually embrace who you really are will you ever be able to serve and know him and know who you are. And know your worth in this world. If we determine value or worth in this world by money, you know, and to be one of a valuable person is a millionaire. Well, by perspective, God is a centillionaire, and that is 10 to the 303rd. And he has said that you are his greatest creation, his greatest prize, and you're purposed for a great task. All right. Let me put the world in perspective for you, okay? I hid this from you, so you wouldn't steal it from me, okay? All right. This is the earth, okay? This is the world. If the earth were the size of a tennis ball, then how big would the sun be? Get A beach ball? No, it would be a lot bigger than that, okay? It would be 24 feet across, so this is, oop, oh, okay. This is the size of the Earth. The Sun would be 24 feet across, and it would be over a half a mile away. And there would be virtually nothing between the Earth and the Sun except a couple of planets. But to put this in perspective, if the Earth is a tennis ball, then there is a star in our universe called Betelgeuse. Anybody know what that one is? so in, if the sun is 24 feet across, then Betelgeuse would be five miles across. And this is us. And you're a little dot on this tennis ball. And that dot is called valuable. Can you just simply embrace that? that's all i'm asking i'm not asking for much today can you just embrace your worth in god because of his value he considers you his greatest creation you the one that can't pick his clothes up in your bedroom the one that smells bad the one that probably needs to take a shower the one that Barely woke up to come to church today. All those things. Those of you that are gray hair and are balding like me, okay. He calls you and all of your imperfections that. The question is, is will you believe it? Will you put down the world's subjective measure of worth and will you just receive it? Will you receive those three principles? I'd like to close with a story today. Um, my wife and I, about five or six years ago, we visited, uh, Strasbourg, France. Anybody else, I'm going to, anybody else bring to Strasbourg, France? All right. Got one other one in this room. Okay. So I was, I visited about six years ago, Strasbourg, France. I was in Germany and I went to Worms, Germany. What happened in Worms? It is where Martin Luther was tried as a heretic moving on. And then we crossed over to France and we kind of stumbled across this thing called the Strasbourg cathedral. I didn't, I don't think I even knew it actually existed, and this cathedral is the most impressive building I have ever been in by a long shot. I've been in Hagia Sophia, I've been in the Empire State Building, the Sears Tower, the US Capitol Building, the White House. I mean, I've been in all these buildings, but that one took the cake. It is a echo of mankind's attempt at his own self-worth. Okay, this building was the tallest building in the world. A church, okay, a cathedral, was the tallest building in the world for 200 years. The steeple on that is over 500 feet tall. And that poor guy that had put the last brick on that thing, okay, okay, with the wind blowing in his hair, okay, that poor guy, 560 feet up high, putting that last little brick up there would be terrifying. Okay, okay. That building was 564 feet tall. It had window panes of stained glass that were 40 feet uninterrupted. You stand in this building. Just imagine the height of that roof. And that is the most magnificent building I've ever seen. It is a testimony to our attempt to have worth. And guess what it felt like? Cold. Dead. Dead. If you attempt to find your value outside of God, it will leave you cold. It will leave you starving. It will leave you begging for more and more and more. How about let's just not do that? How about let's embrace that we are God's greatest creation, we are his greatest prize, and we are tasked for a great purpose because of who he is and what he has done pray with me Father, I thank you for this morning I pray for those that do not know you as Savior that are here this morning I pray that you would open the eyes to uh, their need for you their sin and that they would trust in you as Lord and Savior I pray that you open up the eyes of the blind for any of those that don't know you and for those that do know you I pray that they would not seek the subjective things of the world to find their value but they would find their value in who you say they are and uh, lord i pray that we would seek you with our heart that we would love you with our emotion not just our mind and not just our actions but we would love you as you have asked us to thank you for this church i thank you for those that brave the rain today to be here thank you for the music team and and thank you for all those that serve in a countless amount of ways around here at calvary And we lift up your name and we glorify it. We thank you for what you have done for us on the cross and beyond. Lord, we lift up today in Jesus' name. Amen.